Hello, hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Chris here with a interesting little episode of the Make It Podcast. We're going to do something special at the front of this, and then we are going to replay for you one of our most popular podcasts from 2019 as we gear up for our wonderful schedule of interviews and uh, indie podcasts we have planned for 2020. We're going to replay the Sarah Antonio interview from last year. It was one of our most listened to interviews. It had everything. It was funny. It was heartfelt. It was informative. Um, And so I know everyone will enjoy that. But before we get to that, I'm on here with my co-founder and good buddy, Nick. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? Um, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that you all were not a part of the intro, the countdown that my man Chris made a couple seconds ago. It had to be the sexiest countdown I've ever heard in my life. I don't know what what happened. It must be the quiet storm mood that that got into him. My man said, and five, four, three, two. Didn't even say one. Yeah, pros don't say the one. When, when, when you're only amateurs, say the one. Now, so now I'm giving all. See, now I'm giving all the secrets away. Uh, because the whole thing about having like a podcast or a platform where you teach people how to do something is that you give them ninety percent of it, and the ten percent that's most important you never talk about. You just hold on to it. You just hold on to it, and you just yeah. gave that ten percent away. I didn't. I didn't give the one, man. You, you're the one who said you don't do the one. You said I didn't do the one. You I said say, that shit. I didn't say why you didn't do the one. See, I just. I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying that's, that's it. True. Yeah, you got it. I'm just saying the the countdown was ridiculous. And I was like, all right, we're hyped up. I don't know what we're hyped up for. <laughs> Every time I'm on the phone with you, I hear your voice and I realize I have to go deeper. I see. Very As, good. Because I, I'm competitive. <laughs> and uh, I can get smoky if I try. Oh, jeez. What, what did we start here, folks? Anyway, back to topic, my man. You hear, the, the, you hear, all, the, you hear all the sweet chopped onion and <laughs> in that barbecue sauce sliding, said, sliding across my voice right now? Man, it's a chopped onion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what am I talking about? I, I have no idea where that came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. All right, lead us in, man. Lead us in. I, have been, I have been working on a Gordon Ramsay impression, um, but I'm not ready to unleash it yet. Uh, I like doing it in the kitchen, though. He uh, says common words, un- like in a, you know, like in an English way. Like instead of fillet, he'll say fillet. And I had to rewind. <laughs> I had to rewind his YouTube channel like four times to figure out what the hell he was saying. And he's like, "You have to use the Godfather of all steaks, fillet." Well, let's well let's not go down that route tonight because if you do, the whole podcast could just go tits up. <laughs> if it hasn't already. So so okay. So the special thing we're gonna do before we replay Sarah's podcast is we made a we made an error and uh at Bonsai Creative, we like to correct errors we mistake. Uh, we, listen, what I said. <laughs> we like to correct errors and mistakes that we make, and um, and just fess up to it. And so, what happened was we did a wrap up show last year. It was really awesome. Everyone gave us some wonderful feedback, but we left off one person, which is uh, so frustrating. I, you know, undoubtedly, of course, 
I make an error like that, but it is, um, it is upon us to fix it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you, as we did in the 2019 wrap-up show where we went through everyone's key quote that we interviewed, we're going to give you the one key quote we left off, and it was from our good friend, super talented actor du jour, Dean Shortland. And so uh, are you ready to hop into this, Nick? Yeah, man. Let's do it. All right. So Dean said this. The real qualifier is, are you going to be able to use this work to get more work? If you aren't, don't do it. Nick, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think it's an awesome quote. And yeah, it's sad that we left that one off because I think when he said it, we spent some time discussing it. Basically, just between the two of us, it's like filmmaker gold right there. Right. It's not just about you know, taking the next job, taking the next gig just to keep making stuff. It's do it so that it springboards you to the next thing. And I remember the context that he gave that quote was he couldn't afford to waste his time. Right. And it was because his time was shared time, right? He shares that time with his family. So you know, when he goes home or let's say when he leaves home, he wants his family to know I'm doing this not as a passion project, not as a favor, not just to make a dollar for us today, but I'm doing this for the future of his profession, the future of his career and therefore the future of his family. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, very considerate of the products that I get in on because this project needs to lead to the next project, what leads to the next project to make sure that he continues to work. So it's an awesome perspective, I think, especially because, you know, filmmakers are often trying to just get on a gig, you know, so that they're yeah. working. And even though there's merit to that, because I think we always say that, you know, in the making, there's also learning. So the more you make, you know, the more you can learn. Uh, but I think when you're really when you're really serious about that craft and you're really considerate about the projects you get on, uh, you can really learn from the right people. And I think that's part of that equation is that the right people, um, the right projects with the right people, I should say, are the ones that are going to get you more work tomorrow. So it's, a, it's an awesome, awesome quote. Yeah. And it makes me think of a couple of things. Uh, one, when you really get into the meat of the quote are you going to be able to use this work to get more work? Uh, I'd, I'd love to bring Dean back on and have him sort of talk about the uh, didactic part of that, where we break down what it really means. Like, how do you know, Dean, what, whether one piece of work is going to get you more work or not, or whether it's worthy of that, or whether it has the potential to do that? That's really where the, the crux of it is for a lot of people. So a lot of people might hear that and say, yeah, got it. But I really thought this uh, micro budget young filmmaker project was going to get me more work. It, it, it didn't, but it could have. Right. And, and you go through this sort of triage in your mind. So I'd love to bring Dean back on, have him expand on that, expound on that, really get down into the dirt with what that means. And I think the other thing is, is. Let's face it. Um, Dean's working out of out of Nashville for the most part. And Nashville is a big little town and it is very, very difficult to say no to your friends. 
it's yeah, very, very true. difficult to say no to your filmmaking community because in a community like, like that, you're really just supporting each other as much as you can. Right. Like while trying to yeah. do your own thing, you're like out there for them. So when you yep. say no, it has like this potential social impact that you can't measure that could potentially be negative for your brand in town. So again, I'd love to bring him in, have him talk through that, how he's avoided that trap. And I think that would be very useful uh, for everyone listening. So Dean, please take our apologies for leaving you off the 2019 wrap up. Certainly wasn't personal because you know that we personally love you and uh, do take us up on uh, our invitation to come back. Um, uh, this year soon so we can dig into this stuff. So uh, as usual, if you have questions for us, you can reach out to us at contact at bonsai.film. So B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. You can also find us on social media, ask us the same questions uh, or reach out to us for anything you need. Uh, that's film related uh, at underscore Bonsai Creative on Instagram and Twitter. And you can just search for Bonsai Creative on Facebook and you will find us just like that. Uh, so with that, enjoy uh, Sarah Antonio's interview from 2019 coming up. And Nick, do you have any final thoughts before we uh, roll into that? I'll just say uh, this last thing, man, you know, be better, be creative and be engaged. That's what we're all about. Yes, sir. All right. You do those things, you'll probably make it right. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. You take it easy. Peace. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It Podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. And uh, you may know me from projects like The Resident, Nashville, The Inspectors, House of Cards, um, films like Hallmark's Christmas at Graceland and uh, Lifetime's Night Nurse and Locked In. Um, if you were in Nashville for the National Film Festival, you may know me from Other Versions of You, which is a beautiful film that's going through the distribution process right now. And um, next year, hopefully you'll know me for The Reason, which is a faith-based drama that is also going through the distribution process right now. And currently I am working on the web series Morse code, which is a lot of fun. Thanks. Sarah, thank you so much for <laughs> joining us on the podcast. This is a long time coming. Mm. I know like we've known each other for a while. I've been, I've been wanting to do this. You've been wanting to do this. I know it, it really gives me goosebumps to think about the fact that, um, we've known each other for about three years now, maybe right. longer without having done this or, or really um, 
it just it's just weird. You know, it, it makes me actually want to call everyone that I know and say, hey, you know that coffee we said we we're going to get? We got to stop. We have to stop bullshitting. Let's go get it this week. You right. know what it's I mean? Like adult friendships are just saying, hey, let's let's go do something over and over again until one of you dies, basically. Uh, that is perfect that's exactly right well i i'm gonna rebel against it and this is the first uh first step which is to get you on the podcast and uh have this conversation with you that i've been wanting to have for so long and and um i can't i I would say you've been recommended over and over and over again by so many people in the community in the independent film community to to be uh, on this podcast. So I know we're going to make a lot of people happy with, with this conversation. So thank you again. That's a huge compliment. I appreciate that. I, um, no, anytime. And, uh, so you, uh, just digging into your background a little bit, you are from Fort Myers, Florida. I am. And, uh, uh found your way up to the university of Virginia. Mm. So right away, it doesn't scream, um, Act, actor or, or, or you know, uh, entertainer. And you took a turn with your uh, um, sort of in your master's program going mass communication and then moving forward into Florida State uh, College at Jacksonville. Oh, no, no, no. You, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Florida State I was going to say, don't, don't confuse UF and Florida State, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Florida State College at Jacksonville. Exactly. And, and going to that theater program is kind of where it took a turn for you. So I have kind of two questions for you out of that, which is one, when did you know, like, what was the moment you knew you wanted to pursue a creative life uh, in performance? And then two, um, who were you before you were an actor or actress? Oh, yeah, those are good questions. And they I can probably answer them both together. Um, so. My mom, my mom is a actor. She's a um, stage actress. And so I grew up going to the theater with her and going to her um, rehearsals and just being a part of that world. But it was never something that I saw for myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a child actor. And that was actually something that like later on when I was a working actor, I thought, oh, gosh, I was so envious of people who knew that's what they wanted when they were younger and they were able to really commit to that at a young age. And I've had to make peace with it and also say, well, I had all the life experiences I did have so that I could be this three-dimensional actor, three-dimensional person that's able to bring those into my acting career now. So no, I didn't, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor as a child. I saw my mom and I thought it was so amazing what she was doing, but it wasn't what I wanted. I went off to the university of Virginia and, uh, studied something I don't use at all now, but I, Oh God, the University of Virginia is like Disneyland for 20 year olds. I mean, it is one of the, Charlottesville is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I studied economics and American politics there. And so I double majored in that, which of course just blends naturally into uh, acting. <laughs> and um, I don't necessarily use my economic degree every day, but I use my American government degree every day when I'm trying to translate what is happening around me, you know? So I think that those, those experiences uh, weren't necessarily what pushed me into being an actor, but studying politics at University of Virginia 
pushed me into public relations, which is what I studied at the University of Florida. So I got my master's at mass communication, uh, my master's in mass communications at the University of Florida. Um, and I worked in public relations for several years. I, I loved that work. I was really mm. good. At it. I was a really good writer. And, um, I worked at sort of boutique agencies and had these clients and some of them were huge. I lived in Denver for a little while after that, um, with my husband and I worked at an agency there when my clients was Coors Brewing Company. I got to work on those accounts. I got to work on the 2008 Democratic National Convention as the host committee there. So I had all these amazing experiences and working on these accounts and um, felt like this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, we ended up in Jacksonville, Florida, which I love Jack. I need to give Jack. I'll let's talk about Florida more after we do the, <laughs> the full life scope. But uh, I love Jacksonville and I think it has like a self-esteem problem. I just want to tell the world Jacksonville's not that bad. Okay. So yeah. back off Jacksonville, leave it alone. And I was working there and I remember being with my mom at my, my brother's college graduation and turning to her and saying, I think I want to take, um, some acting classes. Mm -hmm. I think I want to be an actor. Like it was, and not to get like too existential, but it was truly this like nudge, 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 God driven dream that was knocking on me that didn't make any sense. It certainly wasn't part of the narrative that I'd crafted for myself. I was working in these, you know, important meetings and important clients. And that was how I'd self-identified. And I was wearing my little pencil skirts and an actor was certainly not what I had anticipated for myself. Um, but it truly was a nudge, 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 God-driven dream that I tried to ignore for as long as I could until I couldn't. And, um, so thank God there happened to be a really great acting coach on camera acting coach. Cause I knew I'd, I didn't want to do theater. I ended up doing theater as like part of my process and learning, mm -hmm. but that, that my end goal, I thought like, I really want, I really want to tell these stories and in these intimate environments. You know, I kind of knew even from the get go, like that, that's, that's what I was being nudged towards. And, um, so I found this great acting coach, Cindy Hogan, who is a Southeast based actor who works a ton and I don't know, it must have been a God-driven dream because she happened to be in Jacksonville and she taught these great classes. Mm -hmm. So that was my first intro into on-camera acting. And I will tell you what I said on the first day of that first class. And it goes back to, have you ever read The Artist's Way? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. I, I, I know about it, though. You know about it. Okay, it's, it's like I got a cult following. but I've It, never it is. It's it. so true. I read the first three chapters like three times and I am terrible about doing like the morning pages, which is like part of the journaling process. But I've read the first three, three chapters. I've read the first three chapters like three times. And, um, the big takeaway is that, you know, we have this little creative artist inside us that, um, is kind of yearning to be fulfilled. And when we don't do it, it sort of acts out in different ways. And I remember, showing up to my first day of this acting class and I came straight from my office and I had a little pencil skirt on and we were all going around sharing about ourselves. And I remember when it got to me, I told this coach, I'm here because 
I want to get better at making public presentations. And I think this acting class will help me in my work, which was a lie. It was such a lie, but Mm. I was like so scared to say like, I really want to do this. This is what I really want. And I think I'm, and I think I might be good at it and I don't know and all these things. And so. How did you find the courage to admit that to yourself? I mean, it took, it took time and it took, you know, I'm very, I'm very much a preparer and planner and I feel like I have to really, um, study. I'm a study. I take studies seriously. I, st- I take scene studies seriously. I take, I, I can be a little bit too serious sometimes, but I like, I really work at it. So I worked really hard and I studied with this coach for a while. I went back, uh, Florida state college, Jacksonville did, um, night classes there again, all while I'm working like 60 hours a week at this agency. I did local theater, um, at theater Jacksonville in Jacksonville, which is, I I thank them every day for giving me like my first gig, you know, my first job. Yeah. yeah, You did, uh, you did like four plays there, right? Um, vagina monologues and yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, a vampire never reflects was my first play there, which (laughs) vampire (laughs) reflects, which is so fun. But I give them so much credit for taking um, a risk on me and giving me those chances. And so I just committed myself to being an actor and not just call you saying, maybe that's something I want to do. And I really, really worked hard at it. Um, and so through that whole process, I was like, I, I think I need to do this. Like, I, I think I need to do this for real. And as you can imagine, like working at an advertising and PR agency, 60 hours a week isn't necessarily conducive to being a working actor. And so I got my first agent in Jacksonville and I quit my job. And at the time, I'm sure people thought I was banana town crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but thank God I did. I mean, it really was a God driven dream. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, this is the work I'm supposed to be doing. These are the stories I'm supposed to be telling. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. It was really scary at the time. And I guess that I encourage people to say like, you know, we've got one life on this planet and why not, you know, do the thing that you, that your heart is calling you to do. I love that. That is absolutely right. And it's funny how um, your story rings so true, at least to me about how you go into a situation and you say, well, this is what I want out of it. When you know, when you know in your heart, that is not, why you're doing what you're doing but you need you need a crutch Mm -hmm. you need you need a reason why that makes sense to the logical part of your mind and to the people in your family that expect that from you and your friend group and and um and it's just so wild how we tell ourselves different stories to to define ourselves um so i'm really proud and happy that you that you broke out of that, you know, listening to you though, it, it, it made me think of this sort of uh, interesting phenomena, which is that the smartest people do live the creative life or have a hungering for it. Uh, just on this podcast alone, we've had USC graduates, Oberlin graduates, Yale graduates, and you have to be a pretty smart cookie to go to university of Virginia. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so you're, uh, before you were a great student, as an actor, you probably were a pretty good student in general, correct? I was a good student. Yeah. Um, 
I was a good student. I've always liked school. I've always liked reading and studying. And I think yeah, that's always been a part of me. Why is that? <laughs> it seems <laughs> antithetical to being a kid, right? Um, I don't know. I think uh, like curiosity and learning. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a nerd. I don't love like taking tests. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love learning about people and ideas and concepts and stretching your mind and oh my gosh I love all of that I love it yeah I just I don't know what it is but I think the smarter you are the 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 quicker you realize that you don't want to um show up to a place yeah to unlock a door at 8 a.m day after day after day or yeah confine yourself you know the the thing that drove me to entrepreneurialism was working an hourly job and what I found out working multiple hourly jobs was that um, the worst thing you can do is be the best person at at your job when you work hourly. It's the worst thing you can do because no, because you will you will get paid exactly the same as the worst person <laughs> at your job. So so the system itself is set up for uh, mediocrity. Yeah. Right. So just remember, I said that the next time you roll through. Uh, any fast food place not named Chick Fil A. I don't know how they do it at Chick Fil A. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're so nice. I know those employees are completely engaged, and whoever is training them and running that has a best-selling book in their future because um, they have really figured it out. So um, you, you have this look that people would say is Jennifer Aniston esque. Yeah. Thank um, you. Of, of, of course. And, but I, I find you to be a little bit more exotic and this is because your dad is uh, Jamaican and has a Lebanese background. Um, that really does give you um, sort of a year round tan. <laughs> I, I, I would say, how, how did that affect and growing up in Florida sort of affect um, uh, what you saw and, and how you absorbed it and, and, and your, ultimately your desire to want to be in, in this business? Yeah. Um, okay. So two parts. I'll talk about my, my dad and then Florida too. Um, so I am because of, I'd probably say because of my, um, my dad's side of the family, he's from Jamaica and he grew up there and his dad's side of the family, his family's originally from Lebanon. So, um, for me, that translates into a look that for casting is called ethnically ambiguous. Mm. <laughs> I'm sort of, it, it really is great for commercial work, especially because I can kind of just be there. And they, I mean, I don't know if that's PC to say, but like it, it really works. It's the look that's really popular right now. Um, I think it's a really hard time to be a blonde, uh, fair skinned actor. I think mm -hmm. people who have something a little interesting and different going on are killing it right now. Yes. Yeah. And so I just feel, I feel really lucky that I'm coming up. My career is hitting a really great spot at a time where my look is popular and I'm not naive. Like I know this is all cyclical. So I'm like, I better hit it hard now. <laughs> people like the way I look. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm going for it. Um, yeah, no, I feel, I feel really lucky about that. It, it, what's funny is that, um, out when I grew up in Florida, 
everyone's tan there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone really noticed. And then I, I left and I went to Virginia and I um, left Florida basically. And suddenly like the, the world realized that I was like, not, they weren't quite sure. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of, I, a lot of people think that I'm half Asian. Um, <laughs> a lot of people think I'm part Latina and maybe, um, a little native American. And so like, I get all of these questions, which I love. I, I've taken it now as a huge compliment. Like right. if someone stops to ask me, can I t- ask about your ethnicity or your background? You know, blah, 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 blah. I take that as a huge compliment now as a healthy adult. When I was like in my twenties and drunk college guys came up and were like, what are you? I did not take that as a compliment. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I struggled with that. I struggled with, um, this sort of confusion of like what I remember being called a racial slur for a race that I am not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, how, I don't know how you wrap, like, how do I wrap my head around this? So there was that kind of confusion for me for a little while. Um, and that was before I was an actor. So I think that that process of like being an actor and being like, wait, this is a huge asset for me being sort of not definable. Um, yeah. Has, has been a huge asset for me. Let people project whatever they want on me. It doesn't, I don't care at this point. I'm here to do the work. And if my look is interesting for you and it works for your project, then wonderful. So that's kind of in my attitude about it now. Um, but I think it's so true because you really can play anyone. I mean, you see what, you know, Evan Rachel Wood is going through recently with, mm. with sort of Asian Americans giving pushback to the fact that she's playing uh, an Asian person in an upcoming film. I, you know, I think you wouldn't get that pushback. I think you could play whatever you wanted to play. And I, I think it's such a huge advantage and um, I, I can definitely identify with being misidentified. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember in my early twenties and late teens, if I got pulled over by a cop, uh, I would hear them describe me. Uh, we've got a six foot three Hispanic male. And I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like people don't know what to call it all. They're like, okay. <laughs> right, right. But, but but like you, I learned to be a chameleon in the world and make it yeah. work. Work. I weaponized it. And I think you're doing that too. Um, you, you really started in front of the screen in, in 2000 and, uh, or behind the camera uh, for the big screen, I should say. In shorts, uh, in 2012, uh, I think your first short was happy birthday janitor. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is the oddest title. (laughs) Oh my gosh. IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) I did, um, my first real projects were student films at the Watkins college in Nashville, which I tell actors who are starting out to work with Watkins students because I think they're really professional and I think they've got access to good equipment. Yep. Um, and so I, that was my first experiences that weren't like, in, oh, my first job was an industrial, you know, that term, like basically like, mm-hmm. uh, corporate videos. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, my fir- very first job was an industrial. And, um, I remember like I had like one line and I was, I was this patient and it was for uh, <laughs> an eye care company. And I thought it was like the cat's. <laughs> Like I thought it was, <laughs> and I told everyone how much I was getting paid. Like I was like, I made it, Hollywood. Here I come. <laughs> so we were all. I was hanging out with some friends, um, 
And we were all sharing like our first acting job stories, like our first on-camera acting job stories. And so I tell that story and Ted Welch, <laughs> Ted Welch is like, oh yeah, my first on-camera acting job was The Help. As in like the Oscar award-winning film, The Help. And we were like, you just need to shut your mouth right now, Ted Welch. Right. Yeah, Teddy. Like, I'm sharing with you this like horrible, stupid industrial that I did, and you're killing it. Yeah. Teddy's Teddy's the best. Fast forward, you're you're um got films upcoming, feature films. You obviously were the lead in other versions of you, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, a movie Bonds I uh, played a role in uh, from an EP and consult perspective and um, just loved you in it. Can't not wait for uh, the world to see you in it. But that's a lot of experience. I mean, you went from theater uh, yeah. to industrials, to shorts, to features. You've done well, it, all you sorts know, I, of... Uh, was, and I'm a South, you know, I'm based in the Southeast. And so there's so much work that comes through here. I feel like I work a ton. I, I really feel lucky in that regard. Yeah. So there's so many shows shooting, you know, TV, TV and film, but so many shows shooting in Atlanta that I'm able to work pretty consistently on that, which has been really, really nice. Yeah. You, you have that dual agency, Atlanta and, and Nashville. And I, I think it's really smart. And so again, I preface in, uh, this next question, uh, based on all that experience. And I just wanted to contextualize it for the listener. Like you've done commercials, you've done, uh, you've, you've been a, a, a host, uh, you, you've done PR work, you've lived in a different world, um, even before acting. So, um, along the way, have you gotten a lot of advice? And, and if so, what are the two best uh, pieces of advice you've, yes. you've received so far and who did they come from? Yes. Oh man. I, I, uh, again, I feel like this has been a truly, um, a God driven dream career because I felt like the do- the doors have opened in so many ways. And I've been able to meet so many people that have either really helped me or just given me, um, helpful advice along the way. And so I'm just, I'm really thankful for that. But I was going to say, I thought about this question in advance and there's definitely two big pieces of advice that have been really helpful. One was more recent. So I'll share that one first. Um, it's from the casting director, Raven drummer. Mm-hmm. And she is based in Atlanta. She's um, probably best known for working with Tyler Perry on his projects, but she also works independently on casting. And she's wonderful. She is <clears throat> one of those casting directors that uh, really likes actors. And I think um, most of the casting directors in the Southeast market are like that. I could probably I could list all their names, but I'd say most of them are rooting for actors. They want actors to be able to help them do their job, right? I need to find this character. Please be this character for me, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, like George Pierre, the Finn Cannons, Bajo, Matt Sefik, Kim Petrosky, Chris Redding, Big Picture Casting, and Raven Drummer, and tons more. But they're all, you know, rooting for actors and wanting them to do well. So I had a chance to talk with her a little bit and she had this great point that I think it's helpful for actors to think about going through the audition process and going through the casting process. Um, her big words were, it's all about trust. Mm -hmm. She's like, I need to be able to trust you as an actor. I need to be able to trust you so that I can send you to the directors and writers and they need to be able to trust you so they can send you on to the, uh, network and to the studio. And there's this whole, you know, process of approvals and each person that verifies you needs to be able to say, well, I trust this person. 
And trust in that regard, I think, is the very simple act of, are you going to show up and do the job? Mm. Like the very literal, like, are you going to be responsible and trustworthy? And then also, are you going to bring the character, right? Are you going to do that thing that they need you to do? And so I think that's helpful to think about in the audition, um, you know, finding ways to show them, like, I, I really get this character. I get what you're doing here. I get what you're asking for. We're on the same page. I see you. I see this story and I see this character and you can trust me to, to pass that along. And then also finding ways to show, like, I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to mm-hmm. show up to the audition. And then you know that I'm going to show up on time when I get to set and you can trust me to be responsible. Um, so I, that really resonated with me. I thought that was- Yeah, like for, first principle stuff. Yeah. yeah. People look over for the bigger, you know, more inspirational advice, but, but just start with first principles and do those really yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so just being trustworthy, being responsible. And, um, you know, I think Southeast actors especially have um, an opportunity to show that there's maybe a reputation from LA and New York that we might not be as trustworthy and responsible or professional as New York and, um, LA based actors. And that's not true. I don't think there's always bad apples that are going to give people bad names, but I don't think that that's true for the most part. So just finding opportunities to show that that's who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, Oh man, like life advice, but like really important for creatives came from Lewis Gossett Jr. Who I adore. He Mm -hmm. is um, just a wonderful human. He is an an Academy Award winning actor and he and I got to work together on a film called the reason. And that's going through the distribution process right now. And I'm, I'm really excited. Hopefully I'll be able to share some stuff about that soon, but, um, it's a faith-based drama and I played his sort of, um, pseudo adopted daughter in Mm -hmm. the film. And we got to work with Tatiana Lee and Alan Powell's in that movie too. And Chris Wente. And there's so many great actors, but, um, all my people, all your people. Yeah. Jesse in there. And, um, he, we, I just remember we were like little sponges. That's my advice too to other people. If you see someone that you think is amazing, just shut up and listen to them, (laughs) you know, be quiet and listen and just be like a little slurpy sponge and, and absorb all their learnings. But uh, we sort of asked him on set one day, you know, hey, what can you what can you tell us? You know, what's the secret to it all? What, what do we need to do? What should we know? And I'm paraphrasing and he was perfectly elegant when he said it. But <clears throat> basically, he said, here's what you need to do. You know, when you come in on a project, you as an actor, you put all of yourself into this project. You create this character. You create it fully you give everything you have, you squeeze yourself out for this character and this project during the shooting process. Then when it's done, he's like, and this is the important part. When you are done shooting, you pack all of yourself back up. You pack yourself back up. You take your heart with you because if you leave your heart with this project and it doesn't get the accolades and it doesn't get the awards, you're going to be wounded and disappointed versus Mm -hmm. recognizing as actors and also as other creatives, we only have control over the one thing that we can do. You know, we can only control our creative process and the work that we do. And so when you run into, oh, but this film didn't get the awards. Oh, it's stuck in distribution. Oh, it's this or it's that. 
your heart can get broken over and over again. But if you have already, I'm going to take my heart with me and I'm going to keep it strong and healthy so that I can move on to my next project and give it to that fully, then you're protecting yourself. And at the time I wasn't sure like how real that would feel. I think now I've lived a little bit more. I see it every day. I'm like, yes, that's in the audition process too. I've got to create this character in the audition give everything I have in that five minutes with the casting director and then boop, 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 pack myself up so that <clears throat> if it doesn't happen, I'm not heartbroken. You're not heartbroken. You can move forward. I yeah. think that's wonderful. And would you give different advice? So if you had one, uh, if you had to give one piece of advice to a working actor today, what would that advice be directly from you? Um, I think one of the mistakes that <clears throat> newer actors make is being really scared of the audition process and hating the audition process. Mm. I, I like the audition process. I think it's uh, a way of removing onset nerves. When I get to set and I've been through this lengthy audition process and all the checks and approvals, I know that is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I don't have onset nerves because 10 different people along the way had to approve me. Right. So that sounds like kind of silly, but it, it is almost like, Oh, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Everyone else has confirmed this. So I don't need to worry about it. I don't have to do anything. I can just be here. And so I would say to actors that are newer, don't, don't stress over the audition process, do the work, create the character, give it to the casting director and if it's, if it's what they want and if it's what's needed, then wonderful. If you do it honestly and truly in the audition process, if you're giving yourself, then it's either you or it's not you. You can't take it away from someone else and they can't take it away from you. It was either yours or it wasn't yours. And if you make it all the way to set, the lengthy list of uh, gatekeepers that have approved you <laughs> have shown that this is exactly where you're supposed to be. So you are that character. You're that version of the character that they need. And all you have to do is just do the work. So I, I, that's what I would say is don't hate the audition process. Yeah, I love that. I love that very much. Um, it's I believe it was Stephanie Black that talked about how to prepare for auditions and when in the audition room and in that her focus on auditions. I believe her and both Christine Woods talked about the fact that um, that's really the small choice that makes the biggest difference is, is being prepared and, and, um, and, and really valuing the audition process and, and caring about the little things helps them win more gigs than the, their contemporaries. So mm -hmm. it's a, uh, sure. it, it's serious advice, good advice. So, uh, we, we talked about, uh, your turn in, in other versions of you and, and you play Suzette Larkin in it. And, um, you have to play all these different versions of this character because every time um, the lead, Digsy, goes to opens a door, he goes to a new place and finds a new version of you, a new version of Suzette. And so talk to me a little bit how you um, just kind of springboarding off what you just said about prepping mm -hmm. for the audition. How did you come to be Suzette and how did you develop real characters and depths for all the different versions of her. Um, thank you for asking. I love this film so much. I know you do too. And it was sort of a dream role when I, when I talked to other actors about it and I, and I just get out the first 
a couple sentences, well, I got to play all these different versions of the same character and I see other people's eyes light up because it really is sort of an actor dream job to be able to just play. And it was so fun. And you know, Maki Dapp and he is a dream. He's a, he's a true actor's director. He loves working with actors Mm -hmm. and he's these fun, interesting characters. So we met through Chris Wente, our mutual good, good friend, um, who plays the lead, um, Dixie. And, um, we met, it was one of those examples of, you know, you go through, there's all these gatekeepers and there's your agents and there's the casting directors, all that. This was not that process. Mm-hmm. This was, um, us meeting and getting to know each other and him feeling like I'd be a good fit. Like you can ask him about it, but he was like, I think she's Suzette. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so kind of going about it much more organically and him sending me the script and me loving it. And then us working on with, on that for a little bit and then feeling like, yes, this is the perfect connection. And I, I adored the script when I read it. I thought it was just so fun and cool and magic. Um, and not like anything I'd ever read before. Mm-hmm. And then preparing for the character, um, <clears throat> cause you are playing different versions of the same person that are different in different degrees, you know, um, life experiences maybe made them different or the universe that they live in made them different or this small tick in their branch of their life made them different. And I looked into, uh, kind of how Tatiana Maslany treated her characters in orphan black. She plays clones. So theoretically there's some things that are the same and some things that are different. And, um, I looked into some of the techniques that she used. She assigned them different color schemes to kind of keep them separate. When you're playing multiple characters, even in the same day, it was, it's a little hard to kind of keep them all straight and make sure you're being authentic to each one. Right. And so she's different color schemes. She gave them music playlists and, um, a lot of like internal monologue type stuff. And at least that's what I did. Excuse me. Internal monologue type stuff. And, and I developed like really distinct backstories, but from what she did too, I just, I like that she, a couple of the characters, I think she came up with what animal they were just some like really neat things that I thought, thought were really helpful. And I really respect her as an actor and the work that she was doing. So I, I stole from her a little bit and then again, brought in some of my own um, techniques and just keeping them straight and finding ways to make them different, but still the same, you mm-hmm. know, the, the same character and I just had so much fun with it I loved it yeah I think it's a good point that that no matter which version of Suzette you were playing it still seemed like it was Suzette oh good yeah uh, you know what I mean it, it was it was Suzette through and through but but oh. affected by different uh, a different environment or a different life or a different lifestyle in that particular universe yes oh and I don't I don't know I I don't know if anyone else knows this but I told Maki I wore the same perfume for throughout. So like for me, sense memory feels really um, an important tool to use. Uh, obviously music's really important, but like, um, the sense of smell is really significant. And I just wore the same perfume throughout and throughout and then just kind of use that as a, like a grounding. And d- didn't you have each Suzette have their own playlist as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Each Suzette had, had her own playlist. So crazy Suzette, if you listen to uh, Insane Clown Posse and like, no, what did? No, <laughs> no more like, um, I was like, 
I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. <laughs> oh, I think that was like her. That's and perfect. She was like one of the only ones that I really gave a animal to, and she was like a a cartoon kitten, like a little Japanimation kitten. It's kind of how I imagined her. Yeah, and so for the listeners out there that haven't seen this, and I hope you will soon, uh, Crazy Suzette has just really exaggerated uh, eye makeup. She has blue hair. Uh, she uh, almost looks like she should live in Japan. And um, it's it's really funny. But you also have sexy, I assume sexy Suzette <laughs> just listened to Usher all day. Usher? <laughs> Usher great, yeah. Um, no, she was... Oh, because she was so obsessed with Iceland. She was mm-hmm. really into like um, new experiences. Type, yeah, yeah. Well, she listened to like I had her. Oh, Asa Base. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Not that that's Icelandic, but like Asa Base and Bjork. I had her like listening to that. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. We, we yeah. filmed that to also tell the audience or viewers, listeners. What are we doing, listeners? Um, yep. We filmed in Iceland and France, which was so amazing and like we filmed in Iceland before like Iceland's kind of pretty hot right now like we filmed in Iceland maybe just before it got real sexy mm-hmm. and um, I loved it I mean put that on your bucket list I think that's such a cool place and filming there first of all it's like overcast all the time which makes everyone's skin just look magic on camera mm-hmm. um, yeah so that was a lot of fun well the thing about Iceland now is they'll they'll pretty much subsidize your way there because yes, they know that <laughs> they know they'll make the money back in the city. Um, uh, cause it is, you know, it's, it's pricey once you're there. Um, but, um, but getting there, you know, you can actually get there pretty affordably. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, it is on my bucket list too. I want to go also just for the music because I have a friend, um, uh, named Jeff, who's who put me on to some Icelandic music, and um, it's supposed to be a, a pretty dope scene. So uh, I need to check Thank it you. out. So cool. Uh, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, um, not to bring us too down, maybe it actually will bring us up. But uh, as you know, we lost a mutual friend, Brittany Belland. Um, Bring that up. Uh, last year, and I, you know, I was wondering how you two met, and um, and uh, what maybe is your favorite story that you can yeah. share with you and Brittany? Yeah, um, and so yeah, just to give people a little bit more insight, so Brittany is one of the four leads in this film. Um, she plays uh, Digsy's sister Daphne, and. She's one of the most wonderful humans I've ever met. I adore her. And on Thanksgiving of this past year, she lost her battle with mental health and she took her own life. And so she is no longer with us on this planet, but she is with us forever in this film and forever in our hearts. And I just, I adore her. Meeting her was um, a formative experience for me. I um, I just... <laughs> I just adore her as a human and oh my goodness. Yes. I could talk about Brittany all day. Um, and I'm, it's actually really good time because this is, um, I want to say May is a a mental health awareness month. And so it's a really good Mm -hmm. opportunity to talk about, um, what that means and, you know, keeping an eye out for our loved ones and obviously like asking for help. If you feel like you're at a place where you need some extra assistance and also, 
what what being an actor is for someone who is an empath. I think, you know, I can't speak fully for Brittany, but I think she was one of the most empathetic, open-hearted people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And she felt things fully. And being an actor and keeping your heart open and tender like that, it's hard. It's really hard. And um, I'm really mindful of keeping my mental health strong. And she has helped me remember to do that and to really fight for your mental health and protect yourself from things that might damage that. Um, I just, oh God, I love her so much. So yeah, we, we talk about her a lot. We think about her a lot. Um, she worked really hard to fight for her mental health. She really did. And yes, um, her uh, boyfriend Brock has described it as a, um, like any organ that just failed. And that was her, her brain just failed her in the end. Like if there was cancer and it just took over, I think that that's kind of what, how it was for her. I think she, she worked as hard as she could and she was really open about it. And she was always doing fundraisers and raising awareness and having that conversation. So, um, I just want to hope that we all continue that, carry that baton forward for her, uh, moving forward. I, I would share my favorite Brittany story. Oh gosh, I love this woman. We, um, so we met in the Boston airport on the way to Iceland to film. Right. So we had done these Skype auditions, not auditions. We've done these Skype interviews with her and me and, uh, Chris Wendy and Maki and been doing this for months leading up to going to Iceland to shoot this film, which we filmed the rest of it back in Nashville uh, later, but we shot a portion of it in Iceland in France. And so in preparing, we, you know, talked via Skype, but totally different to meet in the airport at the first time. And, you know, we, (laughs) she told me this first, she said, I was really intimidated when I met you. And I said, I was really intimidated when I met you. (laughs) And, um, you know, we, we were both these like, hello, pretty actress. Hello, pretty actress. That like moment of like, uh, like two dogs sniffing each other. Like, are we, (laughs) am I threatened by you? I don't know. Uh, I'm so nervous. And, um, so we had that like little moment of meeting in the airport and then we went to have dinner at, um, a really shitty, uh, (laughs) in the Boston airport, like a chowder restaurant. I want to say. (laughs) Sounds like the heart of like a bad idea. Let me, let's start a restaurant centered around chowder. So um, we went into this chowder restaurant in the Boston airport and I uh, were sitting across from each other and, you know, kind of talking and everything. And whatever I'd ordered came with a a side of cornbread. And um, she like is real subtle at first. She's like, so, Hey, how about that cornbread you got there? (laughs) And uh, I'm like not eating it. And she's like, she's like, Oh yeah. So do you like cornbread? And I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really like cornbread. And she's like, Oh gosh, uh, what you going to do with that cornbread? And like, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it at all until finally she's like, can I have your fucking cornbread? subterfuge man I don't you gotta go right straight for it with me and that was like that was it like the ice was broken we fell in love instantly like um and then we spent like the next two weeks in Iceland and France making part of this film together and did just just fell in love with each other um oh man I know 
That's wonderful. She that was a that is that is a perfect uh, Britney story. Oh, I can absolutely see it. And like that was the one of the most surprising things to learn about her. If once you got to know her, was that she did have these battles, and because that you'd be taken aback by it because every time you ran into her, she'd make you laugh. Oh, so yeah. so I don't know if that was like a a self. Um, protection mechanism, you know, defense mechanism. Okay. Um, if I make people laugh, maybe they won't, they won't see me the kind yeah. of thing. I, I don't know, but, but she would always make you laugh. So for me, it was like, really, you feel this way. Uh, don't you know how talented you are? Don't you know how beautiful, you, uh, beautiful you are, et cetera. I think it's a, I think, you know, it's a yes. And like, we're, mm-hmm. it's just complicated. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> no, no question about it, but, uh, thank you for that story. Thank yeah, you, well, thank you. And I, and I would encourage people, I have it up in my Instagram um, account as like the main link in my Instagram account is to go check out the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, you can make a donation. You can make a donation in Brittany's name if you if you knew her and that's something that you're inspired to do. Um, and you can also just make a donation in general and the work that they're doing to um, help vulnerable people and is is really important. You know, we need to make sure that there's resources available um, for everyone, regardless of income and regardless of their access. And, um, so I just encourage everyone to go check out the American foundation for suicide prevention. Thank you. Thank you for that, Sarah. And, uh, I hope everyone does go out there and support that. And, um, it, it makes a difference. Every little bit will, will make a difference. And, you know, speaking of, um, uh, getting emotional, I watched you, and, and you mentioned this. It's a little bit of a callback, Sarah. You mentioned mm-hmm. earlier uh, in our conversation that you started in public relations, and and, and you've always had this sort of uh, great posture, this great body posture. One similar, <laughs> similar of an interviewer, someone who oh, could yes. could 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 host or or you know man a news table. And I watched you in this sort of, I guess the campaign is called hashtag let guilt go. And oh, yeah. I cried my eyes. Out. <laughs> I love that. You, you had me uh, just weeping and I, I wanted to, and it was a perfect thing to watch come in and do um, Mother's Day. And uh, it just made me want to go and, and reach out to everyone that's a mother and say, you're doing a great job. Oh, I love that campaign. I think that I think it was really cool. It was uh, started by uh, Primrose, which is um, one of the larger groupings of uh, private preschools, and they're really solid programs. Kind of headquartered in Georgia, um, but there's throughout. I want to say most states. There's there's a lot of them, but a really great school. Um, and they wanted to do just this cool viral campaign called Let Guilt Go, and it's about ending, like, mom guilt. And mom guilt can mean parent guilt, too, right, because dads have that, too. But I think moms... But I think, it, but, but I, think I like it with moms. I think moms have a lot more guilt than dads. Mm, so and much. I'm saying that as a father. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, there's this working... You know, I'm a working mom, and being a working mom, it's like when you're not with your kids, you feel guilty if you turn down something so that you can be with your kids, you feel guilty because you wish you were doing the thing, you know? So there's, it's guilt all, all over the place. And in, you know, moms are often, if they're working moms or not working moms, they're carrying, still carrying a lot of the like caregiver household manager roles too. And so it's exactly. just a lot to manage. And so I got, they, 
brought me in to do these undercover interviews. It was like nothing I'd ever done before. And I interviewed these women. I think there was five of them in total who had been nominated by friends and family as just kick-ass working moms who were like juggling all the things and wearing all the hats. And they thought they were coming in to do a friend of theirs a favor for like marketing research or something. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you need this marketing research. And and they thought they would just pop in for that. Mm-hmm. They didn't know they had all these hidden cameras everywhere. And these questions, oh my gosh, you hear what was really cool was being in the room with them and, you know, guiding them and asking these questions and hearing over and over again that, well, I put the guilt on myself. You know, no one's telling me that I'm doing this wrong or bad, but I put the guilt on myself. And what a universal working mother experience that is. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. And, and letting, and try, you know, working hard to let that go. So getting these interviews and having these conversations with them, loving their responses and then being able like, I was like Santa Claus, Chris, like I got to say, like, we have a little surprise for you. And I pulled out the laptop and I played them each this video that their friends and family had made of them basically just saying, you're amazing. We love you. And every woman started crying, of course. And then I don't think one of those mothers could cold in their tears. Not even one of them. No. Oh my gosh. And like, I'm crying. We're all crying. Everyone in the, the whole, the agency in the back room is crying. Everyone's crying. And then I say, well, we've got one more surprise. And then their friends and family pop out of the room. And we, I think we had like flowers, some of them, we had flowers and we had a check for them. And it was just like, I was like, Oprah, I was like, you get a family. You get a family. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it, was, it really did feel that way. It was so genuine. Um, whoever filmed that and edited the yeah. the content did a great job as well, just to get those cuts right and to, and to really hit a home run emotionally um, and get that emotional payoff. Falling, I want to say. Say it again. Jackson Spalling. Okay. Yeah. yeah it was great work. So, so we're, um, it's such a, a small commitment of time to watch you on film to, uh, on this campaign, where can people see it? I saw it on Facebook, but are, are there other places people can find it? Um, I would just, cause that's a really good question. Let me make sure Jackson Spalding is the right one. Um, Jackson Spalding. Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. I would go to the Primrose website most because I have a lot of friends who have kids at those schools that were like, I just saw you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go to Primrose schools website or their Instagram page and the campaign should still be there. That's awesome. And, um, so, so Sarah, you have been so wonderfully generous with your time today. And, um, like I said, it was a conversation long time coming. I hope that we get to do it again. Uh, get, we talked about doing one of these in person when, uh, this podcast flips to, uh, a video, uh, platform uh, as well as audio so that's coming soon i think i just i think i just uh dropped an easter egg on everybody there but um <laughs> uh so, so i'm hoping we can do it again um but in the meantime tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet and where they might be able to see you perform yes um my instagram handle is sarah antonio murphy um that's sarah without an h and, um, my website is www.sarahantonio.com. 
And most of my updates are there. Um, Morse code. Um, I think you can watch that on Vimeo right now. So that's a project that I'm working on with Corby Lanker, who's great. And you can also come to our um, screening. I know you know the date on that. Wait, what is that? Is it May? I have it on my May twenty third, I believe. May twenty third. So May twenty third, we'll have a big fun public screening of the fourth episode of. Um, of Morse code, which is really fun. And it is fun. And we didn't talk about it a lot, but it, um, just because we just, we've just interviewed Corby, but, yeah. but uh, and I don't want to beat people over the head with it, but it's worth beating people over the head with. It is a really good web series. It, it has the ability to hit a trajectory that will allow it to get picked up as a show, in my opinion. So I'm really looking forward to episode four premiere, uh, on the 23rd as well. So, sorry, I didn't mean to interject, but I wanted to get that out there into the, into the world. Go ahead. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's, that's just a fun project and, um, the talent on there is, is great. And Corby is a hoot. Right, it's great. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah, for sure. And um, so, just a couple of more questions before we go. Uh, two questions in particular. So, one, um, what is your favorite Sugar Ray song? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know the names of them. Come, come, my baby. You're the butterfly. Is that a Sugar Ray song? <laughs> Uh, I don't think it is. I think it's. <laughs> You're a butterfly. I am a music. I don't know. Uh, what's the nice way of saying it? Loser. I'm a music loser. When people ask me, like, what's your favorite band? I'm like that scene from Anchorman. I'm like, lamp, table. I just like name words. <laughs> like, I don't know. I live in Nashville and I want to do a short film where, like, it's a musical and everyone can sing except for me. And like, it's, everyone's like, what would you, the barista's like, what would you like in your coffee? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a music nerd. I'm not, not a music nerd. I'm a music loser. I, I like the radio. That That's where I am. Um, so no, I don't know what Sugar Ray song. Oh my gosh. Um, I, uh, I think that song is called Butterfly, the one you were singing. Yeah. Is that way. not Sugar Ray? No, it's, it's crazy town. It's crazy town. Um, which they had a Sugar Ray sound, except they were they were more um, kind of like a they tried to be like a, a limp biscuit where they were uh, rapping and singing a little bit, um, or maybe like um, a Lincoln Park almost. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that might that might be a better uh, contem- a that might be a better analogy. To, so so Crazy Town and like um, and Lincoln Park are kind of similar. Where Sugar Ray always he tried to be more like No Doubt. Like a guy version of No Doubt to Me. Ska, right? That's what that is? Yeah, it was like a ska. He tried to have that ska vibe with a lot of his, you know, tone and delivery. You know what I mean? So, anyway. I mean, I know know who Sugar Ray is. I (laughs) I know you know. (laughs) (laughs) A little birdie told me to ask you that, so I thought I would. Oh, I know who told you to ask me that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I thought you would. I, I, That's a fun film that we worked on. Um, that I think maybe maybe at the National Film Festival this year. We'll see. I don't know. Um, I sure hope so. Never too old. Mm-hmm. I sure hope so, and uh, I can't. I can't wait for it. I, I get to see everyone at the festival, and that's always a great time. Um, it's the anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a big one. I know. Yeah. I'm excited. 
Yep. And I guess to wrap us up, I, you know, I normally have our guests um, leave a parting thought for um, our listening audience. But but for you, um, I would say, are there any tips that you would you would give an actor? Are there any parting words, parting thoughts, tips uh, specifically that you would give to anyone out there listening who wants to pursue a career or currently has a career in acting? Um, I, honestly, I think I've been like thinking about what, what, what acting is and it's, you know, it's truth telling really, um, is, is what it is. And really also empathy is at the core of what we do as actors. Um, empathy is this muscle and it has to be exercised. And so there's this, there's this benefit that you get when you work on your empathy, that you become a better actor right? Because you're able to empathize with your characters and you create these full fleshed out three-dimensional people that are real. And that's the benefit of working on your empathy there. But then I feel like it sort of is like a, a loop in that, you know, as an actor, if you become more empathetic, you're, you're able to be this better actor that translates into being a better human and how we treat the people in our lives and what a gift that is to the rest of the planet to be this self-actualized human who's empathetic and, and able to like be compassionate. You know, I find now when I, when I meet difficult people, I almost see them like I'm, I'm analyzing a character. I'm doing character analysis on them. Like I see what tactics you're using here. They're not effective and I'm able to empathize with them and sympathize with them and understand them. So there's the duality of that. And then also when you create these real characters people who are watching it are able to empathize with it. You know, the art form of film and television is so important in terms of shaping hearts and minds that when you're able to create something real and put it out there, it will resonate with viewers. It will resonate with people. And what a gift that is to be able to put that out there. And maybe they might see a version of themselves that maybe they might see something that they haven't seen before. And so they're, either able to identify with it or it shape, you know, ex expands their mind in terms of what people are <laughs> and what life experiences are. So I just, I think that that is so important in terms of being an actor, being a storyteller is just building that empathy muscle. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, find your people, find people to work with. I would, I wouldn't say find your tribe because that sounds so douchey, but, but that's basically <laughs> like, like find your, <laughs> find your people, find people that, that, further you that help you with your work that are good sounding boards. You know, we can't work in vacuums and being an actor can be isolating and can be daunting and can be tiring being a filmmaker, all those things as well. So find people that help further you help build you up, help give you those confidence, that confidence and allow you to bounce things off of them. And uh, my final recommendation is study at a good acting studio. Any suggestions for acting studios yeah. that are good? Yes. In Nashville, I can recommend, um, Nashville acting studio with Caroline LeCurier mm -hmm. and also, um, fourth wall with William Arnold. And I think those are both really great scene study focused acting studios. And I love both of those coaches. So I highly, highly recommend that. Sarah, that is a wonderful. Oh, before you cut me off, it's was that? about Florida before you cut me off is about Florida. I just want to say, Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I didn't, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to interject. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. I want to hear about Florida. <laughs> this is my final thought on Florida. Florida gets a bad rap, right? So we're not all Florida man. You know, when you read those headlines, like 
Florida man wrestles an alligator. Right. Florida's a wild place. (laughs) It's this really beautiful place and it's full of like mangroves and water and salt and also strip malls, right? There's all of that. So many strip malls. Florida man. (laughs) Um, and I just, I love this state so much. I give, I give it a lot of credit. You know, there's, we're not all crazy alligator wrestlers. And also Florida isn't really the South, you know, the farther South you go in Florida, the less Southern you are. Yes. Uh, I, I credit Florida with this sort of, um, Midwestern frankness that I feel like I have. And I'm really thankful for that. I think that that is Floridian in itself. And I think that served me really well as an actor. I don't really know how to like nice lie, like the, the Southern bless your heart. And since acting is always about telling the truth, I feel like I don't have a lot of like subterfuge or passive aggressiveness to like strip away. So I just, I give Florida a lot of credit for that. I'm, I'm really, I'm really thankful. I love Florida. Yeah. My father lives in Port St. Lucie and, um, I don't get down there as much as I ought to, but I couldn't imagine him after him being down there and, and he has a little ranch that he calls Barkley second chance ranch because, <laughs> uh, him and his wife, Diane are both widowers and, oh. um, and they do a lot of cool things down there. And I, now that he's been down there a while and I see how much enjoyment, you know, he gets from taking care of the horses and taking care of the ducks and the chickens and, you know, being in the weather, it's it, a lot of times um, you get the sense that he has a secret that he understands something that, that maybe everyone else doesn't. And that's yeah. how a lot of Floridians come off to me because they know it's a great place to live. So I, I think we like to joke and, and poke fun. It is a different place. It is the kind of place where alligator could potentially show up in your backyard. <laughs> and I know yeah. my dad has sent me those pictures of him killing very, very dangerous looking snakes. Um, <laughs> Uh, to, you know, protect the dogs and the chickens and this whole lifestyle. And he's had some pretty wild things happen, but I don't think he would trade it in. And I cannot imagine him being really super happy in Tennessee, uh, even though he lived here uh, the majority of his life, um, after having the experience he's had in Florida and just being free. There's a freedom to it. So I am with you 100%. And, you know, Fort Myers is beautiful. And so... Uh, I, and, and my time in Jacksonville was great too. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Uh, people take a shit on, on Orlando and I, I loved Orlando every time I've went. So, uh, so even Orlando is, uh, even now, Orlando. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even Orlando's not that bad. And I've, I, and I've been there mostly for, uh, business, but, but, uh, so I, I know I'm not seeing everything, but, um, for the most part, um, every time I go there, I have a blast. So, and every time I talk to you, I have a blast. This is so fun. Yeah, it was. What a, what a hell of a segue that was too. You see what I did there? That was. I love it. <laughs> Segway man I strikes again. <laughs> Sarah, you're the best. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope everyone gets a ton out of your advice and, and out of this conversation. And uh, hopefully we will talk t- uh, together soon and uh, hopefully uh, get together for uh, some coffee, uh, some biscuits at Dose or, or even uh, a glass of wine if you want to do that. And we can bring out the whole crew and chat it up. So um, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. See you later. See ya. Talk soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. 
To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.